PGA Nation, we are back with another week, a fun week that will be. We're heading to Georgia. So we got Georgia on her mind on the RSM Classic. Uh, this is going to be a cut event, so kind of back to the norm a bit. Uh, somewhere in between, we have not the full field of, of all the big names, but not quite a full JV tournament either. So, um, you know, we got some some of the guys that, that we're used to in this tournament, and it should be a fun one to break down. Um, let's get started. Sia, how are you doing tonight? So speaking of a cut event, name drop, spoiler, uh, I was on the first cut yesterday. It's the show I do on Monday for, for DFS purposes. And we were having a conversation, uh, me and Rick and uh, Greg Ducharme, about grocery store shopping and whether one enjoys grocery store shopping or not. And I said that I thought grocery store shopping was like a top five, like low-key top five activity. Like, I love it. I think it's super fun and like liberating, especially when the grocery store is like kind of nice and the aisles are wide and you can just kind of cruise through them and whatnot. So before we even get started, I, I, Joel and Spencer, I need your opinions. Are you pro grocery shopping? Are you con grocery shopping? Uh, Joel, let's start with you. You're going to laugh. I haven't gone grocery shopping in <laughs> literally years. Um, I don't, I, there used to be a grocery store in like underneath my building. When that got shut down, I have not gone grocery shopping since. Um, so cotton for sure. Wow. Spencer, go. I mean, honestly, I'm going to give the same answer as him for pretty much the same exact reasoning. Do you guys get your groceries delivered? Yeah, so bougie. So bougie. I kind of love it, but I think you're missing out. I really, I genuinely think you're missing out. It's a whole like mentally... Uh, it's it's just it's a great experience. Go back, go back. Even you're like you don't have to do a full grocery shop. Like do like you know get a basket and get like three or four things and just cruise the aisles. It's fun. I'm telling you. I can't be trusted in the grocery store. Once I'm in there, I they, I one basket's not even enough. I need I need to start buying everything. I just that's I just the whole beauty of it though. See, you, you're actually like kind of making my point. It's an adventure. You go in there and it's like oh look at all these things I can get. It's just a beautiful thing. Sorry, I, we're going to do a slightly quicker show, and I'm already off the rails with you guys. Uh, the, the short answer to your question, Joel, your original question is, I'm doing fine. Thanks for asking. Good. Good, Spence. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing well also. I'm excited to have a full field 156-player tournament. I usually like these a little bit more than you know these 132 players or less with it. So I think it's going to be a good week. Excited to do it. And uh, it's an interesting DraftKings week for sure. For sure. And you know what? I think this week, even more so than normal, I am super excited to hear your course breakdown. Right? I had a hard time. Like, there's the obvious, like, you know, we always look for our approach. Um, I think this one that obviously you're going to want some some accurate drivers, which is for sure something I'm looking at. After that, I was kind of like, I don't really know what else I'm looking for here. That's that's kind of the gist of what I got. So I'm like, all right, well, I got Spence tonight. So Spence is going to break it down for me. So without further ado, Spence, why don't you go ahead and hit it with us? Well, I'll warn everyone right now, and maybe that's a good intro into it. It's going to be an extensive breakdown, even by my standards. So you might want to get your popcorn ready for it. But yes. uh, the biggest thing worth mentioning is that we have a rotational setup this week. Players will be forced to play either their Thursday or Friday rounds over on the plantation course. With that being said, I don't love getting overly concerned in trying to mimic a model to fit both venues. To me, this is similar to tracking weather splits for tee times. It sounds good on the surface, but there are so many variables that come into play that can quickly change things. Uh, it's not to say that there isn't an importance when 25% of your holes for the week come at a secondary layout, but the fact that we will still get the most important weekend rounds over at Sea Island means that the brunt of our research should remain in one location. 
Uh, rotational events are always challenging for this reason. If you wanted to add a slight emphasis on, on par five scoring, because golfers do get four during their one round, uh, be my guess. But having similar green complexes throughout uh, and it being Bermuda at both stops tells me that this isn't one of those venues where the rounds are night and day from each other. I expect similarities across the board. Uh, wind typically plays a factor with such narrow landing areas off the tee. And it does play as a benefit if you can find the short grass. On average, the field connects on 80% of their greens in regulation when hitting their approach shots from the fairway. That's about as high as you will see on tour. We have a jarring 10 par fours that measure between 400 to 450 yards when I rounded one of them down. The only two outliers were the 368-yard eighth hole and the 470-yard 18th. I don't typically like measuring outlier categories like that, but when 55% of the scoring can be condensed into one zone, I do think you need to take it as being a credible source. And then the last two things that stuck out to me uh, that I think we need to talk about, the first would be 8.5% more approach shots come from 125 to 175 yards than tour average. Uh, you would think proximity ranges would be better since players will have a ton of short irons while approaching the green. But like all Fazio designs, undulation does play a factor. And with those second shots typically producing a higher proximity rate, we see 8.7% more putts made from 10 feet and beyond than an average stop. I think that's one of the reasons good putters have found success here. Uh, some of your stellar proximity players like Keegan Bradley can compete because they're hitting a ton of uh, greens and regulations per round. But we too tend to get wildly bad putting performances from anyone that sees a downgrade in my weighted putting that I ran. Uh, there is some rollover predictability when it comes to course history, uh, but I didn't go more than 10%. But from a, a course perspective for a model, I started with 30% on a weighted strokes gain category that featured courses under 7,200 yards, easy scoring, and Bermuda greens. It was a relatively even split between the three, but to me, those three stats encompass what I wanted to find at a venue that isn't perfect from a quantifiable sense. Uh, I did another 30% on a recalculated metric that took that proximity from 125 to 175 yards and putting from five feet and beyond on Bermuda greens and combined them together with a 65-35 split of putting over proximity to form a unique category there. Um, for the record, that's the opposite of conventional wisdom when you typically do something like that. Proximity tends to be more important than a random putting total, but I didn't see a great deal of predictability from that range in past leaderboards. Yes, the plurality of shots come there, uh, but the easy answer remains that more putts are being made from 10 feet and beyond, which naturally means irons aren't being hit as close. 10% on moderate to severe wind. I don't think that really needs much of a description there. Greens and regulation gain for 15%. To be honest, I was tempted to avoid all accuracy and GIR stats because I know those are going to be the two most weighted categories, uh, but I decided GIRs gained was the top corollary stat I could find. And then I wrapped it up with par four scoring from 400 to 450 yards for 15%. Um, as I mentioned, I usually don't like specific categories like this because we far too often don't have enough data to make it worthwhile. Plus, I don't believe players notice small differences here and there. I doubt someone like Adam Scott, who ranks second in the field over his past 50 rounds between 400 to 450 yards, thinks to himself he's drawing dead when he gets to a 350-400 range that he ranks 100. 24th best in this field, but in the same breath, I don't know how you can avoid it completely when over 55% of the scoring chances become in this zone. Well, I love it. I love it. That is super insightful. Um, I am, I am now definitely more prepared for this tournament. Spencer, yeah. can I, can I ask you something real quick? So just about the putting part of that, are you, it, it, I, I hate to give you a blanket statement. I, I, you don't have to say yes or no to this, but are you kind of avoiding 
the bad putters here? Is that is that sort of a precondition to making your your roster of DFS players? Um, I wouldn't say yes necessarily on the surface i'm avoiding bad putters that are also showing as negative trajectory when i ran my weighted putting into the mix so uh, a really good example of that and i do think he'll be fine this week and we can talk about him in a little bit but a guy like keegan bradley 128th in this field in strokes game putting when we look at this weighted putting for a venue like this he drops all the way to 144th uh that's technically what i'm trying to avoid like a guy like Corey connor's Surprisingly, Emiliano Grillo, um, uh, Charles Howell. I mean, there's a bunch of them. Russell Henley. These guys, even though they're not the greatest putters, they do see an improvement in my model when I ran it a certain way. So I'm willing to consider those guys. But if anybody's going to be a negative putter with these being longer putts needing to be made, like they kind of are off my radar for that reason. With that said, as we kind of carry through the next, you know, 40, 45 minutes or so, can you maybe give us an idea of like if we bring up a guy and, and he's not fitting in that weighted putting category and he's in that Keegan Bradley type category? I For think sure. the listeners and myself, it would be nice to know because I wasn't really on Keegan Bradley, but I was on Corey Connors, which is good. It sounds like that's good, right? Yeah. So I, I, to distinguish those two, because they're both bad putters, obviously, if we just talk, if we're just talking ge- generically, um, if if you can maybe distinguish, if you can think of, you know, just pointing that out when when the time is right, that might be for helpful. sure, for sure. I love it. Well, as we, uh, I think that that time is right now, so I think we can dive right into this top tier. See if you want to kick us off at the top, and who are you looking at here in the in this upper tier? I'm looking at Isaiah because he agrees with me, and people who agree with me get priority over guys like Scotty Scheffler and Webb Simpson. So I'm with you on grocery stores, and then boom. Charlie chimes in, only solitude from the family. See, now we're thinking, right? Now, this isn't just surface level stuff. We're, we're getting to the meat and potatoes of why people may subconsciously like go to going to the grocery store. We got a yippee from Charlie as soon as Spencer started. Here we go from Jesse, very loyal fans in here. And then Charlie, I'm out of breath because it really is breathtaking every time you do your model. It's super helpful. I encourage everybody to go back and listen to Spencer because sometimes, you know, your eyes can just kind of like, Glaze over and you're like, all right, what, what did he just say? Like, go back and listen because this stuff actually really helps. Uh, Spencer writes an article for us at windailysports.com. And that article, Spencer, have you already published it or no? I'm going to publish it tonight. Awesome. And I know you're doing a show with Brian Kirshner after this. So I encourage everybody to watch that. But definitely read Spencer's article. Okay, Joel, I'm never answering your question. So here we go. <laughs> In this top range, I'm going to keep this range relatively short. You guys can go on. Uh, if you want, but there's two guys I really like, uh, and they're guys I tend to like. It's Louis and Cameron Smith, but I like Louis a lot more. So those are going to be the two guys I'm going to play. I think roster construction is interesting here because I think you can grab two guys at the top if you want to, or like let's say a Corey Connors and a Louis, or if you want to play Scheffler or Webb Simpson or whatever, and go down to the 6K range if you have to with a guy because there's like four or five guys in the 6K range I genuinely think are going to make the cut. You know, stay tuned for that. But um. I can tell you the few lineups I've already made have two kind of high-end guys, and then I go down to the 8K, 7K, and then cap it with the 6K range guys. So give me Louie, give me Cam Smith. We're looking for ball strikers. Louie certainly fits into that category. Of course, so does Webb. Um, so does Harris English. I think Webb's going to be really chalky. I'm not so sure he's at peak Webb right now, and I think Louie is. In spite of having a bad putter over his last four tournaments, you take that out, 
and we know he can spike with the putter. So I'm not really worried about that. The ball striking is there. This is a perfect course for him, in my opinion. You don't have to be long. He's just going to lazily just swing the club, beautiful stroke, and it's just going to find the fairway. It's going to find itself eight feet from the hole, and he's going to make half of those, and he's going to win the tournament. So those are the two guys I like the best. I like it. And say, do you got some action tonight? Oh, you can tell. You can tell in the reflection, right? You know what's funny? So the answer is no, but yes, because I'm going to put a live bet in likely on Eastern Michigan at home against Western Michigan. If you're not on the Sharp app already, the Sharp app guys are, you get free bets if you just download the app. But more importantly, if you subscribe, there's all kinds of bets. And Anthony, I think, has a bet on Eastern Michigan. I think they're can't remember what the spread was. But the point is, I'm actually waiting for Western Michigan to maybe score so I can get a really beneficial number, and then I'm going to hit it. So uh, I'm distracted, but I'm not distracted. Carry on. Not that it matters. I did that last night in the Rams game, and so it didn't work out for me. I got oh, I did the same thing. <laughs> oh, I did the same thing. I was on the early edge, and, and I, I specifically said, wait for the Niners to score early and then bang the number when it's really beneficial, which is exactly what I did. I had the Niners, uh, excuse me, the Rams plus three and a half. And I'm like, oh, that's perfect. I get the hook too. They were only down seven, nothing. And oh my, that was a disaster. Holy cow. That was bad. (laughs) Anyway. Oh, fun, fun times. All right, Spence, who are you looking at up here at the top range? Yeah, I'm pretty much in agreement with Sia with what he just said. I don't want to spend too much time reiterating the same thoughts with it, but I think Cameron Smith plays well in all game types. He's number one ranked player in my model when looking at that recipe of irons plus putting and is also fifth when it comes to scoring on easy courses. Um, But my favorite play is Louis this week. You know, he's surprisingly gotten cold with his putter, losing in four straight events and averaging negative two strokes per. Uh, but he's leading this field in strokes game T to green over his past 24 rounds. So if he's able to flip the script with what should be the best part of his game, the stats are trending towards a big result. Um, I have some concerns with him for cash game type contest. I think it's always scary when what you do best isn't working, but that can easily be flipped elsewhere. If just focusing in on his upside, I like the fact that he's just over 10% right now. And I think his win equity is about as good as anyone in this field. So if you made me power rank these guys, and I just want to note the one guy that I have absolutely no interest in would be Harris English. I think the other four make some sense with it. But if you made me power rank them, I like Louie, Cam, Scheffler, and Webb. And then, um, as I said, zero exposure to English. For cash, I would probably go Webb, Scheffler, and Cam Smith as the only three I would be looking at there. I like it. So I, I can I ask, why do you hate Harris English? Uh, I don't like Harris English for a couple reasons. I mean, if one of the things we look at, he has the negative um, weighted putting that I was talking about. But more so than anything, if I'm going to try to create leverage in other spots, I think there's better ways to do it than a golfer that just pulled out of a tournament at the CJ Cup. That worries me a little bit. His back flared up there. I don't really know where his game's at. I mean, I think we can, I don't want to start jumping down into ranges, but I think a guy like Joaquin Neiman at 9,700 adds about as much of a leverage opportunity as Harris English. And I think there's just other ways to get different with the build. Uh, I'm assuming you like Harris English based off of that question, but uh, that's just my thought with it. Uh, for me, uh, I do like Harris English. My thought around him is, uh, it is, you're right. It was. It is a leverage play. I think he's looking at where the lower owned players. I do think he has the upside. So um, I like him more from a leverage standpoint than anything, because I do think he can, you know, get a top five or, or win this tournament here. Uh, my favorite play up here, though, is Webb. I know I am concerned, like you guys are, on his ownership. Right now, what I'm seeing isn't too bad. So if he stays in the teens, I'm happy to, to play him there. If he does creep up into the 20s, even mid-20s, then I'll get um, I'll probably look to pivot. So 
Uh, let's keep an eye on Steven's report, which comes out on Wednesday, which is definitely the most accurate ownership report I've seen by a long shot. So when we get that Wednesday night, I'll, I'll take a look and see where his ownership is. If it stays in the teens, I will for sure be all over Webb this week. Um, and again, for a similar reasons, I think Scotty Scheffler is going to be pretty low owned. And if he stays that way, I'll also pull play him for leverage. I think he's similar to Harris English in, in that, you know, I think he is the upside to win the tournament. Um, and looking like someone that might not be highly owned, but that's a strictly a, le- strictly a leverage play for me and someone that I would like to see ownership on before I commit to. I think that makes sense, by the way. I mean, I, like Webb carries his course history over better than any player on tour, probably. Uh, we have two top threes here in his last three attempts. And I really like Scheffler. If if you could promise me that Scheffler was going to be like 10 to 12% owned, I, I'm in on it at that. If he's over 15%, I'll probably look elsewhere. I think I'm on the same page as you with that one for sure. All right, good stuff. Let's look at this 9K range. Spence, you want to kick us off in the 9K range? Yeah, so my favorite play is Corey Connors. Um, I know he looks like he's going to be the most popular selection, so that's unfortunate. But I just think it's one of those spots where I'm going to trust my math and go entirely overweight to get around the popularity. I think you can make a strong argument that he might be the third best player on this entire board. My initial model thought he was the best before I altered a few things. Uh, But it's literally across the board with him grading in the top 10 of not only stats, but you know, also some of the deeper dives I looked with him that I didn't even weigh into my metrics. So I have him top 10 in strokes gain off the tee, strokes gain tee to green, strokes gain total, strokes gain at easy courses, venues under 7,200 yards, uh, win play, Bermuda grass, par four scoring from 400 to 450 yards. I'm going to keep reading these off because I think it's important. Uh, accuracy, GIRs gained, and his combination of putting plus iron play, which is the notable one that I talked about a little bit. We know Connors can't putt, but he was one of the five biggest climbers in my model when I compared Bermuda putting from outside of 10 feet to my two-year total of all putting stats. Um, I will give you the top five uh, just to kind of throw that out there. So number one was Brandon Grace. Number two was Russell Henley, who does unfortunately need to be discussed here. Uh, Corey Connors was third. Matt Wallace was fourth. And then Charles Howell was fifth. We saw Howell win the event in 2018. So I believe that metric means a lot. As far as Henley is concerned, he enters the week dialed in with his irons, having averaged 5.2 shots over his last three starts. He has a lot of similarities when it comes to where Webb Simpson plays well. Uh, But I've kind of found myself boxing him out of some lineups because of um, the overexposure I want to create with Connors. I don't have a problem with Henley on the surface, but I almost prefer him as an outright ticket if I'm going to play him. And then the two that I want to mention that I like as potential pivots or values would be Adam Scott at 9,000. And I mentioned Joaquin Neiman at 9,700 earlier. I think Scott makes a ton of sense if you want to get off of Kevin Kisner. I understand the thought process for people betting Kisner in the outright market, but 10% or higher is too high for a golfer averaging negative 7.98 strokes total over his last six starts. And that's including his victory at the Wyndham. Instead, Scott has quietly been trending in the right direction. As many of you will remember, Kisner's win at the Wyndham should have been Scott's if he could have just drained his three-foot putt in the playoff. And despite a negative showing with his irons last week, he's gained 3.28 strokes with them over his previous six. Um, And then I know it doesn't surprise anyone because I mentioned Joaquin Neiman every week, but the Houston Open was the first time Neiman has lost off the tee plus approach in the same start since the Open in 2019. In fact, I only had three occurrences to date where he has done that, and he followed up every outing with a top 38 finish in his next start. The putter continues to look bad, but I'm going to trust my math here when the whole industry looks to be deserting ship. Um, 
he's likely going to be the highest owned, or sorry, the lowest owned player, $9,000 or above. And I continue to like the leverage he creates. Uh, I view this very closely to Sungjae at the Shriners or Hovland at Mayakoba. I know everyone got a little bit fed up with me naming those three golfers every show also, but my model saw something that wasn't showing in many spots. Um, there is another player in the $8,000 section when we get there. That's that's also ringing true, but uh, those are the four that I like the best this week. I love it. I love it. See, how about you? Who are you looking at here? I'm looking at Jeep Devil because Jeep Devil also likes grocery stores. And he literally, he's quoting me. He doesn't realize it from yesterday. Put in your headphones and listen to a podcast. Uh, can Louie perform in a birdie fest? My answer to that is yes. Do you guys have any concern there, Joel? Um, I don't love Louie as much in a birdie fest, but yes, I do believe he can get performance. Spencer, One of the things I noted on, I, I believe on the Better Golf Pod and on Be The Number, it's not like we're talking about a contest where 25 under is going to be right. the winning score. Uh, it's been 17 under to 21 under, I believe, in each of the last five years. I think we'd be naive to say that Louis can't get himself to 20 under par and win this tournament. Sure, I like him better when it's not a birdie fest, but 20 under par seems perfectly reasonable for him to be able to get to. Totally. Any guy who can really spike with the putter, which he hasn't done lately, but certainly historically, at least in last year, he was just incredible. So uh, I, I think he's fine in a birdie fest. Uh, so the 9K range, listen, I don't like a lot of guys. I think the Neiman pivot is really interesting. I think Alex Norton is interesting. He's got an 18th and a 10th here. He is one of those guys that just simply doesn't rate out well in models, including mine. I just, I think it's interesting that you know, his approach game has been kind of way off, but yet he has pretty. He has a pretty good track record here, and his price almost seems funny, right? Like, who would want to play? I know this isn't like the best field, but who would want to play Alex Norton at ninety five hundred? It doesn't make a lot of sense, which is why, from a game theory standpoint, it kind of makes some sense. So, I think I might splash the pot a little bit with Alex Norton. It's certainly not a play I'm recommending for me. It's Corey Connors in the nine K range or nothing. I think Neiman is definitely interesting. I don't think I'm going to be on Henley. I was on Adam Scott last week. Uh, he didn't, I mean, he made the cut, didn't do very well. I think Adam Scott is fine. Uh, I think that would be also a, a pretty good pivot off Corey Connors chalk. But for me, I'm grabbing a guy in the 10K range. I'm grabbing Corey Connors and then I'm working my way down for the most part. Yeah, I'm in alignment with you. For me, it's Corey Connors here or nothing. Um, I do like some of these guys in the 10K range better. So like, I'll have definitely playing Corey Connors. And I'll be overweight. I do like Corey Connors a lot outside of Connors. I want to sprinkle in some of the 10K range and then be pretty balanced outside of that. So I'm really not too interested outside of him there. So I haven't verified this yet, Charlie. Uh, we talked about it again on the first cut yesterday a little bit. We believe that, uh, I mean, he Corey Connors wasn't expecting dad in the fall. So, I mean, he's back playing, which probably means, you know, put two and two together. He probably had his baby. So if you want to ride the narrative of, of you know, the baby narrative and, and the, the new proud dad, uh, that's yet another reason. Imagine, I, mean, I actually picked Corey Connors for one and done, and now I'm kind of picturing the scenario where he like takes down the tournament and you know, you know, pays all his gratitude to his his, his you know the his the mom of his new child and all this stuff. So I, you know, if we're narrative building, that's even more reason to play Corey Connors. But honestly, look at the metrics, look at his history here. It's it's pretty awesome. Uh, Dylan, whatever, dude, I, you're wrong. I don't know what to tell you. I'm, you I'm, we're Corey we're goes to the grocery store for his new baby or do you think he has his groceries delivered? Well, I, he's busy. So there's, <laughs> there. 
Anyway, okay, so Chris Cox says, what up? Um, I don't know if he's joined us on the show before. So if not, Chris, uh, thanks for hanging out. Uh, please hang out the rest of the show and in the future. And sorry, I'm just ranting on the comments. We got a lot of, uh, we got a lot of uh, interaction. I love it. All right, enough of you, Sia. We're moving on. To the, AK, <laughs> to the AK range we go. Spencer, kick us off. Who are you looking at that here? Yeah, I mean, I don't love the 8,000s as a whole. Um, in most of these spots, I would rather dip down into the 7,000s or get up to Scott. But there are a few worth mentioning before I do that. I do want to note that we have a ton of bad course history for whatever that is worth hanging out in this zone. Even if we take a guy like Mackenzie Hughes, who won it in 2016, he hasn't been better than a 65th in four appearances since. Homa hasn't made a cut in three showings. Vegas has missed two of three. Rose is 0 for 1. Uh, Seamus has been disastrous with three missed cuts in a 74th, although I will get more into him in a second, but I guess let me pr provide a few positives for some of these guys. Um, I do like Justin Rose a little bit at 8,800. I think the price is too high, uh, but it's a very similar spot that we got with him at the Wyndham championship. He had a chance to win that event late before faltering down the stretch. And he provides more of that out of left field upside over many of these players. Uh, he's a nice value in my model when comparing him to ownership, and he does crack the top 25 in general. That can be a fun combination for a golfer under 5%. I like Joel Dahman at 8,500. I still think he's a fine play, but I'm starting to move him more into cash territory if, if he's going to be 15% owned. I'd be curious to see where that ends up going, but at 15%, I'm kind of starting to get a little hesitant with it. Um, I think Seamus is in a good bounce back spot after burning the industry at the Houston open. I am a little surprised he's as popular as he is given his course history and last result. Uh, but I will blame myself for starting this movement on Seamus. <laughs> and then my favorite play is Chris Kirk at 8,000. Uh, he is the one I was alluding to when I said I had someone in the 8,000 that keeps grading higher for me than consensus. Kirk is one of just four players that ranks inside the top 19 of all stats that I ran. The other three were Webb, Henley, and Connors. Love it. I love it. I, I'm pretty aligned with you here in this range. Um, I, I really prefer the bottom half of the range. I think one guy you didn't mention that I, that I, I maybe you didn't mention, I'm sorry if you did. I really like Brendan Todd. I think Todd's interesting here. Um, I think, you know, for someone we're looking to find fairways on, I think that's something he's going to have do really well. He does have a top five in the event. Um, I, I like Todd even more for cash for sure. Cause I do think he's pretty safe. Um, but I think you can also play him in tournaments as well. Uh, and, and the whole bottom half of this AK range, I think, is what really interests me most. I think Mito is in play here as well. I know Mito has cooled off a bit uh, recently, but we've seen the upside. And I think a birdie fest is going to do Mito really well uh, competing here in this, in this type of event. So, and, and I also look, the early ownership on Mito looks very, very reasonable. So if it's going to stay in single digits, that's even better. And then lastly, I'm totally in line with you on Chris Kirk. Um, his course history... Um, I think course fit, it all aligns at a really reasonable price and ownership. So I think those are the guys I'll be looking at to round out my, my 8K range. See, so yeah, how about you? Yeah, I'm going to keep it short. You guys mentioned the three guys I like the most. It's Joel Dahman, which, uh, again, I, I'm a little surprised at the ownership. Again, we'll have to wait for Stephen's article tomorrow around 5, 6 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. That usually really kind of pinpoints the exact uh, projected ownership. So I'll wait and see on that. I do like Joel Dahman. He strokes gain total last week, 10. I mean, he's he's been in really good form, not just last week, but a 45th before that, a 24th before that, made the cut before that. In, in this field, I mean, his course history isn't outstanding, but it's the type of guy that's volatile but can get hot. So I like him. I like Brendan Todd. I, de I definitely agree with the course fit. And I'll tell you, as far as Chris Kirk, I put in three outrights uh, when when 
when the numbers came out Monday morning and Chris Kirk was one of the three at 70 to one. Well, I just looked on DraftKings and it's 45 to one. I don't know the site I bet it on. I'm not sure if it's, it's been bet down at all, but I thought 70 to one was like a pretty egregious error. I think he should have been 50 to one, maybe 55 to one. And Take that PGA tout because apparently he doesn't like Chris Kirk this week. So uh, I, I'm a fan. I think 8,000 is a very reasonable number, especially when you look at the other guys that are in that 8K range. Like if you swapped Kirk and Joel Dahman, for example, I like them both. But if you swap them, I'd be like, OK, yeah, sure. Makes sense. So I think 8K is, is fine. I love it. I love it. And let's not forget that Joel Dahman also has the highest uh, first name gained as well. So oh, that's true. Uh, that is true. Very true. <laughs> if I could just, if I could add one thing to what was just said with it, I think Kirk has moved almost across the board. I've seen him at 40 or 50 to one, almost at all books that I'm looking at. I, he was one of the first bets that I placed also at 70 to one. And I just want to co-sign on the Brendan Todd thing. I skipped him originally when I was giving this uh, breakdown, but I kind of think he's a potentially good pivot away from Domin If the ownership goes crazy with it in GPPs, I agree with you, Joel. I think he's better for cash, but if he's going to be 7% owned, like I'll take my leverage and and have a few shots with him. For sure. For sure. And, and, you know, he does pop here and there. He does have those tournaments where he puts it all together. He sinks a few pots and then boom, he's in the top 10. So um, in this field too, it's not all that strong of a field. He can definitely compete here. Let's take a dive down into the 7K range. I think – this is a, it's a pretty interesting 7K range. So, see, do you want to kick us off here? Yeah, it's a, it's finally we sort of get into a big range here. And, and it's just, much like the 8K range, I don't really start to like much until we get to like 7,500 and below. One of the guys I really like, speaking of guys who did really well last week, Luke List gained over 13 strokes tee to green at the Houston Open. Now, he lost six with the putter, which is like kind of standard. I mean, it's a little worse than his normal. But gaining 13 strokes tee to green – if he is like, if he loses three strokes putting, which is still a, a pretty bad week, uh, th- you know, that's the type of thing where, you know, he could end up in the top five mm-hmm. here. So I like Lu- Luke List wh- quite a bit. Uh, Aaron Rye, I like quite a bit as well. Uh, he's been in really good form. He gained over seven strokes tee to green last week. He's made three cuts in a row. I like him. I feel like he's still a little under the radar, maybe shouldn't be. Of course, I'm going to go back to Henrik Norlander. I like him quite a bit. Uh, let's see. As we go down to the, to the kind of 7,100 range, Alex Smalley, who I know is kind of a, a win daily favorite among some of us, like Isaiah, for example. Coach has been on Alex Smalley for quite some time. Uh, I like him quite a bit. And then if we go to the 7K flat, Scott Piercy, I was kind of on him last week, and I think he's kind of sneaky this week as well. So those are the main guys I like in the 7K range. I like it. I like it. Spence, how about you? Who are you looking at down here? I kind of like a lot of people in the $7,000 range. Um, Matt Kuchar at 7,900, four made cuts out of five tournaments. It does seem likely he's probably a better cash game play because his potential is capped a little bit. Uh, I'm starting to like Charles Howell at 7,800. The price might seem too high, but this is one of the few events a year that he possesses real win equity. We don't necessarily need that at 7,800, but I like how he sets up for Sea Island at around 5%. Uh, Brian Harmon is GPP only at 7,800, but he's one of the better contrarian values I can find on the board. Three top 32s in his last four at the track. The iron plate is worrisome having lost in seven straight, but there is some of that Jason Kokrak type appeal being exuded from Harmon. Uh, he has top 20 win equity in my model for a guy that nobody seems to want to play. Uh, you're going to have to live with the erratic nature on him if you do, but it's not like he's been a complete disaster during most of these starts. 
I like Matt Wallace at 7,600. I don't know if he's ever graded out well for me, but I had him land fourth from an overall rank sense. Uh, the form in Europe has been questionable leading into the week, but I kind of think he has playability across the board. Uh, my model surprisingly likes him better for cash and it's, you know, take it for what it's worth. He probably makes more sense because he's sub 10% in a GPP, but I mean, for him to be top 10 in a cash ranking, I thought meant something. Uh, I'm glad that DraftKings listened to me and didn't price Jason Day at 7,400 again. Still a slap in the face with him at 7,600, but at least I don't have to sue them at this moment for price shaving. Uh, it seems to be a good sign that Day has decided to tee it back uh, two weeks in a row. He had mentioned that we might only be seeing him three times in total over the next handful of months, so I assume the back feels healthy. He finished 12th here last year and is one of the top contrarian values I have in the 7,000s. The only three that are higher uh, would be Harmon when I attach no floor to his grade, Lanto and Brandon Grace overall. Um, I was ready to go all in on Brandon Grace at 7,400 until I saw his tweet that he is dealing with costochondritis, an inflammation of the cartilage that usually develops after a straining a muscle. Uh, I am stubborn and sometimes, you know, still want to play these people. And I probably still will here. Um, if he's going to be one or 2% owned, I'll take my chances with it. I do like his upside and how he fits the course statistically. And then just to rapid fire off some people, uh, I think Emiliano Grillo makes sense as a pivot away from grace. As I mentioned, I like Lanto Griffin. He ranks between 16th and 60th in all categories I ran if I remove par four scoring from that specific range. And then the three golfers that showed us the biggest edge for me down at the bottom were Brian Stewart. Uh, Brendan Steele and Alex Smalley. I made a minor change to my model to try and avoid the influx of Corn Ferry players uh, infiltrating my top 50 every single week. The only two that were left was Smalley or were Smalley and Davis Thompson. Hmm. I like it. I like it. I think that makes sense. Um, for me, uh, I think that there's a lot going on in this range. I'm, I'm with you in, in I, I tend to start Toward the middle or bottom, uh, I like Kevin Stroman. Uh, Kevin Stroman is looking single percent owned. Uh, I think he's going to be a good course. He tends to be like streaky, like hit or miss some weeks to others. But I think he has upside, right? At, at this price point, uh, I think if he has one of those good weeks, he can definitely be in, in a winning lineup. Um, I really like an interesting one for me. I, I'm with on Adam Long. I think yeah. Adam Long is really interesting this week. I think he's a good course fit. Um, his history is like good, not, not great, but good. He makes cuts here. He's got a 35th and a 30th, his last two tries. Um, and Adam Long's recent form has been, you know, eye-popping, right? He's got, you know, four top 30s in his last five outings, uh, tied for 11th last time at the Open. So at sub 10%, I think Adam Long at 7,500 is really interesting for me. Then I'm going to keep scrolling down. I'm with you on Emiliano Grillo. Um, he's definitely someone worth taking a shot on this week. Maybe if you want to look at uh, one of the new up-and-comers in Hayden Buckley, uh, I, I would be okay with that. He looks to be finding some pretty decent form as of recently. Um, at the bottom of this range, in a weekend, I know C is, I'm sure, going to mention his boy, Henrik Norlander, um, who I think is going to be a good fit. He graded out really well for me this week. I think Adam Hadwin, this could be a week where he could pop. He doesn't have great history, which concerns me here, but uh, this does feel like a course that would suit him well. Now that we're getting him at you know favorable ownership and price, this is the type of swings I like to take on Hadwin. Um, and then kind of round out down here, I, I like Brian Stewart at seventy two hundred. Um, I think he's another course fit. I, I think uh, I don't think you're going to get probably like a, a top ten, maybe at best tenth, but I do think at this price 
that could still be someone in your lineup that could help you uh, catch for sure. So quick question for Spencer, when we get to the sort of the weighted putting portion of your model, because you like Grio, we know he's a pretty bad putter and I'm being nice. Uh, does he grade out okay in terms of like that sort of differentiation you had where Keegan Bradley's in one bucket, but then other guys like Connors are in another bucket? Which bucket does he land in? Yeah, so Emiliano Grio, um, from a two-year perspective, ranks 98th for me. Uh, his weighted putting was 68th, so there's a 30-spot increase. And we kind of see that with Emiliano Grio um, this year at or last year at this tournament. Uh, he gained strokes on these greens, and that's something he never does. And I don't think that that's a fluky performance from him. I think it's because these are just better surfaces for him. So if he can be neutral on the putting surface, I mean, he can give you a top 10 performance here. So can I do, uh, let's do this exercise uh, one or two more times. Kyle Stanley, who is probably has the worst short game in this entire field. Uh, I'm a big Kyle Stanley fan because he's such a good ball striker. Uh, any chance his weighted putting performance improves upon what is probably close to last place in the regular putting? Uh, he's 140th for me in regular putting. He is 150th in weighted putting. So he's just bad across the board. <laughs> Man, it's unbelievable. Okay, last last one though. Doug Gim, who can really have struggles with the putter, but we know he's a good ball striker. Where does he land there? Uh, so Doug Gim is 146th in weighted putting. Uh, he is 38 spots below his total of um, 108th. Gotcha. So pretty bad there. Okay, fair enough. Thank you. Awesome. See, anyone else for you down here in the seven carriage? No, I, I mean, I think I pretty much covered it. I, I did want to ask about Kyle Stanley and uh, and Doug Gim. I mean, uh, other than that, uh, you know, Lucas Glover, that, that he's interesting to me. Denny McCarthy has been playing some good golf. Uh, he's also interesting to me. And he, he does have an eighth place finish here two years ago. And he's coming in with two top 15s in a row. So I think, does Denny McCarthy, McCarthy show up for either of you two in any way? Yeah, I uh, I bet Denny McCarthy as a top 40. I think he's a pretty decent play on, on a site like DraftKings. And then uh, I'll let Joel answer the question, but I just want to throw one thing out there very quickly. Strillman, uh, which Joel said, and Harmon were two of the biggest climbers I had in my model when it came to win equity. So it's kind of what Joel's talking about. You're going to have to deal with the volatility, but both of those guys have upside to compete. Fair enough. And uh, it looks like we have, you know, pretty decent confirmation that Corey Connors is a dad uh, at this point. Thank you, Isaiah, for um, promoting that narrative because it's a pretty good one. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. I will add, I actually, I think I'm a little bit higher on Kyle Stanley than normal this week. For me, what, what's bringing me on to Stanley is his history, right? He's done it here enough times where I feel like maybe he's just seeing something on this. You know what I mean? Like he sees it a little differently. I think the consistency, right? A lot of made cuts, a lot of top 30s. Um, I think I will find myself uh, kind of spinning Stanley into a few lineups. And the one guy in this range I didn't mention that I do want to bring up that I like is Ches Reeve, who graded out really well for me, who's, you know, should be a really good course fit. Not a great history, but I think he's a guy that tends to pop here and there. And this could be a week where it might make sense for him. So let's wrap it up down in the 6K range. Uh, Sia, who are you looking at down on the bottom? Yeah, I'll be super quick here. I'll give you four names that I like. Tom Hogue is one of them. I don't love him, but I like him enough to play him here and there. Uh, you know, last week he was pretty good. He gained six on approach. He lost four with the putter. Uh, he's made five cuts in a row, which I think is is pretty telling uh, for a 6K guy. Uh, the next guy I like, and I, and I really like these next two, John Huh. He's made five out of, his, out of his last six cuts at the RSM. 
Um, he had a top 15, or I should say a tied for 15th at the uh, Mayakoba. I think the history here is pretty good. Michael Thompson, great course fit, excellent history here. Coming off another tied for 15th at the Mayakoba, he tied with John Ha there. And then Jim Herman, who's super low. He's made five out of his last six cuts at the RSM, including two top 20s. And he's coming off a T54 at the Houston Open. So again, this guy, I think, I think he's like 6,200, maybe 6,300. A guy that pops here and there, and he's coming in with decent form on a course he likes. So if you need to find the cash, I think Jim and Herman is your guy. But in terms of the 6K range, guys, that might be the secret weapon, which, by the way, is 46 and 13. Uh, John Hunt, Michael Thompson uh, are going to be candidates for that for sure. I love it. I love it. Now, let me ask you, with the secret weapon, do you get a record reset on a new season, or does the record maintain lifetime? I, I feel like it just may as well be a lifetime record only because it's, you know, new seasons are arbitrary as are calendar years. So uh, running total 46 and 13, that's what we got. I love it. Well, I'll tell you what, heck of a record. Yeah, um, thank you. It's, uh, it's pretty impressive. So let's find out who the secret weapon is and jam them into some of our lineups. Spence, who are you looking at down here in the 6K range? Yeah, I'll make it quick myself. Um, I'll give five names. I, I think Sia's boy, Harry Higgs at 6,900 makes some sense. Uh, Cam Davis at 6,800 because of his upside on short courses. We typically think bomb and gouge because of his length, but he does his best work while clubbing down. Um, I like Davis Thompson. I like Andrew Putnam and my favorite play in this range, which I am now hoping it's going to be the secret weapon is Michael Thompson. I have a top 40 bet on him. And I, if it ends up being the secret weapon, I'll probably put a little bit more of a uh, exposure on him on that wager. Do you guys know what his current uh, ownership projection is? I know it's early, but I'm curious what you guys are seeing. Uh, I have four percent. Okay. Yeah, same. That would qualify. Hopefully, it stays around there because he definitely is a, a strong candidate. By the way, shout out to Sahith Thagala. Um, Probably not watching, but he was watching our video because he liked it. He added me on Twitter, which was really cool. I think he is going to come on to the show. I'm trying to reach out to him uh, privately and get him on, but obviously he's busy with, you know, golf. But we got this break coming up the next six weeks or so, so we'll try to get him on with us three. But anyway, that's it. I love it. I love it. Um, for me, down the sixth range, I'm pretty low. I, I don't love this range. I, I don't want to be too, too heavily exposed to it. The few guys that I'm considering are – Andrew Landry at 6,800. Camilo Villegas at 6,800. Almost against my I normally am very against Matthew Naismith, but I can see him competing here. Um, Michael Thompson will be someone who's on my radar. Um, You know, Hank Lebiota graded out well. I probably won't be playing too well, play too much of him. Uh, John Hutt also graded out well, so I'm aligned with you on, on him. There was one other play that I had high. Oh, Vaughn Taylor. Vaughn Taylor, I think, is pretty interesting here at 6,500. I think he grades out well for this course, and he has a pretty good course history as well. My model loved Camilo Vijegas this week. You know, he's another one of those guys that he goes on those streaks where, like, he'll have, like, two or three months where he, like, you know, puts it together and, like, he's really competing, and then he kind of falls off. But, yeah, I think if he hits a lot of fairways this week, I think he can definitely compete. Yeah, I, I like that. All right, that's a wrap from the DFS side. So um, something going on in the betting market. We're going to go into some outrights. Unfortunately, and I know it's like, what are we going to do with our money if we don't have first-run leaders? We'll give them to you, right? just not tonight, because this course is being played uh, the first day on two different courses. So it's a little tricky in that um, one course is a par 72 and one's a par 70. 
So how this books are going to do for us round leader is probably going to be a little different than normal as far as to like just the top overall play and the lines haven't been put up yet. So unfortunately we can't give you the lock hammer lock first round leader plays that we normally would give you, but check back. We'll be on Twitter. We'll be in discord. We're going to plan those plays when those lines come out, but for night tonight, we are going to get into the outright market and we're going to give you those outright plays. So uh, Spence, you want to kick us off in the outright market? We can say it's because of two courses, but I saw what happened last week. I mean, they muted both of your mics as we were trying yeah, to have this discussion. I had a Luke List first round leader uh, that ended up chopping five ways with that. So anybody who bet that would have been profitable. I just sports books are trying to shut us down. They're not even releasing the odds. Like they want to hear this show and see what we're going to say before they release it. So I think it's more of that than the the course split thing here, but. I have a big outright card. It's probably one of the biggest I've had when it comes to exposure. And part of the reason is because I kind of got a happy trigger finger at the beginning here to where I grabbed Russell Henley at 31 to one when that number first came out. He's now in the low 20s. As I said, I think he makes better sense as an outright ticket. If I could redo things, I think Joaquin Neiman might have been the play I would have gone with. Um, I have Corey Connors at 27 to one. I have Louis Ustazen at 25 to one. I never have three guys that are sub 40 to one on a card. And then I also built it out a little bit further than that. I have Chris Kirk at 70 to one, Brian Harmon at 80 to one. And the first bet that I made was Brandon Grace at hundred to one before I found out about what's going on with him. I'm going to keep it hope for the best on it, but um, those are my six this week. I love it. I think that, that that's a great looking card for me. I have a bit of a smaller card, um, you know, maybe a, a long shot swing that I'm going to take. I think Aaron Rye at 90 to one is an interesting one. Henrik Norlander at 100 to 1, um, Emiliano Grillo at 100 to 1. But my, my favorite, I think my, my more realistic bet that I think, you know, actually might be able to come through and win the tournament is Mito at 60 to 1. See ya. How about you? Who are you looking at here in the, uh, in the outright market? So in the outright, I've got three guys, three guys. I've well, I've got five, actually. I'm going to give five out, but I've bet three already. Um, I got Louis Oosthuizen and Connors both at 25 to one when prices came out on Monday morning, which doesn't make a ton of sense to me that, that either of them were there, but that's what I got. Louis is now, I think, 16 to one on DraftKings and Connors is 25 to one. That's not where I bet it, but that's where it is on that site. Um, Chris Kirk, I got at 70 to one on DraftKings. It's 45 to one. So I guess I did a good job there. The only other two I'm going to give out they're both 90 to one. I thought Aaron Rye was, was pretty solid at 90 to one, by the way, Joel and Grio at hundred to one, but I'm going to go with Adam Long at 90 to one, just because he's been so hot. And this other guy, I think I'm definitely betting as a first round leader when those odds come out. Uh, maybe they're out now, but they certainly weren't out before uh, our show started. But Luke List at 90 to one is, is another outright for me. I think those two guys could get in, get into the mix. They've shown how good they've been striking the ball the last few tournaments. So I think 90 to one is a good number there. I love it. I love it. This is a great ticket. I think we have an exciting week. For me, I'm excited because I feel like there's a lot of, for me, easy fades this week. So it helps me narrow my player pool on who I really want to focus on. Um, what else? Do we leave anything out for this week? Let me ask you. I don't think so. Other than there is one thing I wanted to get to. But before we bounce out of here, do you guys have a preference? Assume the wind is is just normal plantation is is the easier of the two right and then seaside where we're going to play three days is slightly harder just from a, a tapar perspective are you would you guys prefer or does it not matter would you guys prefer starting with a guy on on an easier course just is there a psychological component there or starting with a guy on the harder course for me i don't want to overweight that for this reason 
I, I, and just my own personal, I tend to just overthinking those things, put too yeah. much weight into it, right? And it's just kind of more of like, who do you like for the week, right? Who's good? So four days, three days are on one course. Pick the guys you like and don't put too much onto one thing. And you don't want to remove someone from your player pool that you otherwise would have liked for mm-hmm. that. So I'm going to try and not make that a factor. Yeah. yeah, I think that has more relevance when you look at a, uh, a situation like Torrey Pines North and South course with it. Um, I know there's a thing that that North course is one of the most difficult courses on tour and guys that have to play it Friday. Um, or I, I, I don't quote me on that. I don't know which order it is, but there's a certain order that makes it worse. I don't think that that's what comes into play here. I, I think these both of these courses are easy. I mean, yeah. if you made me handpick how I would want it, I guess I'd rather have the par 72 second and let these guys be a little bit more in rhythm, but that is like the ultimate tiebreaker. If I can't make a decision between two players, like that's not going to be the substance of why I'm making a decision. Right. And Charlie has a question to close the show here. Does it typically come for the plantation course? I think the way they do it is they have a first round leader for the plantation course and they have a first round leader for the seaside course. So obviously those odds are going to be trimmed because half the field is in one and half the field is in the other. But I think that's how they're going to do it. Uh, Spencer and I were talking about that before the show, and I think he thinks that as well. So um, Charlie, everybody, uh, Isaiah, we had some new people chime in, uh, Dylan, Chris Cox. Um Jeep Devil. That's an interesting name. Charlie, I might have already said your name, but everybody, thank you for joining the show. There's some guys in our Discord that for whatever reason weren't able to comment that they were super complimentary of our show. Get in our Discord, get to windailysports.com because we'll have that article with ownership, but we'll also have the secret weapon in there uh, tomorrow night. So I just wanted to throw that out there. And Joel, um, you're the host, but but I, I feel like I did need to say one more thing. And it's, it's just one of those things that's important to me, kind of like the grocery store thing. Sports.